Good morning, church. My name is Vince. Uh, I'm on the pastor. Delighted to be with you. Uh, I did not all of a sudden get a deeper voice, okay? I am a little sick, and so I will be retreated a little bit, uh, but you guys are probably still in trouble, okay? Uh, let me pray for us and pray for the word real quick. We're going to be doing three chapters pretty quickly today, uh, but normally we've been doing six at a pop in this series, so it should be about half as long, so that'll be great. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love for us. In the Spirit of God, we just pray that you would teach us and open up this text to us. God, call us to uh, confession, repentance, um, and then to bask in, in the grace that you've given us through the cross. In Christ's name, amen. All right, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. If you don't have a Bible, just slip up your hand. We're gonna bring you a Bible. We do this every week. Don't feel weird about it. We just want you to have one in your hands that you can follow along to, flip through. So just slide your hand up. Don't feel weird about it again. We do it every week. If you don't own a Bible, you do now. It's a free gift to you. There you go. Just slip them up there and you'll be all set. Turn to Exodus 32. Um, if you don't, uh, uh, if you don't, I haven't been with this in the series. Let me just give you a quick recap. The book of Exodus, pretty simple. It's the story of a people... Uh, named Israel that were held in captivity in a land called Egypt, okay? God comes in wanting to deliver this people for he had called them and told them that he would bless this people, that they'd be a blessing to the world. In other words, since the beginning of time, God has been trying to redeem that which was lost. He was trying to fix a broken world, bring life and goodness and grace and love and mercy to the world, and he's chosen a people that he will bless and form to be a conduit of that goodness to the world, okay? So God wants to do this great work across the globe, and God wants to raise up a people to be that for the world. That was Israel. And so if they're in slavery in Egypt, they cannot fulfill their mission. God cannot form them and bring them into the land with which they would then fulfill what God's called them to. We've tried to always remind ourselves that God has now grafted in the Gentile, the non-Jew, the non-Israelite into God's people, we now carry that same mission, that God has formed the church, called the church, blessed the church, that we would go and be a blessing to the world, that we would bring his goodness and his redemption, his restorative power to the world. That's, that's why we exist, okay? So <clears throat> where we left you last week was with the people of God receiving what is called the Book of the Covenant right after receiving the Ten Commandments. So they get the law from God through Moses that says, this is how you will be this faithful people to the world. You have to obey these commands, live this way, and if you do so, I'll bless you, you'll be a blessing to the nations. And so the last line we heard from the people of Israel in, in, in getting the book of the covenant and the 10 commandments was this, Exodus 24, seven. Then he took the book of the covenant read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And so, okay, what, we, what we've got is, okay, here's how you live it. This is what it looks like, and the people of God say, yes, we're in. Now, which if, if you've been reading through Exodus, you'll know the next section of scripture is not what we're covering today, but rather is instructions on how to build the tabernacle, or which will be kind of the housing unit of God, as, as Anthony will break down next week, and then what you get in the last six chapters um, is, is them actually building the temple. And so we're doing kind of a two-part mini-series to finish the series that Anthony will do for us starting next week. Why we wanted to move this week here is this immediate juxtaposition between all the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient 
with one of the greatest stories of idolatry and no, we won't, that we've ever seen in history, okay? So you might be familiar with this story. It's the story of the golden calf. The people of Israel, and we're going to talk about this in length, they raise up and they build and fashion a golden calf for themselves. They begin to worship it. And so we see the clear idolatry, and we will talk about that. But there's a bigger narrative here that I want us to see, and it is the narrative of the Bible. And we see it at play throughout this text, this beginning kind of this creation, fall, redemption, church, and then restoration. We see this same blanket story just in our text today. And hopefully what happens by the end is we are enriched not just to confess and repent of our idolatry, but bask in the story of God that happens through the cross that redeems us that we might be a faithful people. Okay, That's, that's the bigger picture of what we're doing. So here we go. We'll break this down in five sections. The first is the calling, the next the crime, the next the punishment, the next the rehab, and the last will be home, okay? First, the calling. It's everything we've just said. I don't need to recap it. God had so called the people to follow him. He had given them the law and the book of the covenant. He had said, this is what it means to be a people of my blessing unto the world. And so they have been called to be this. Exodus 32.1 starts with the crime. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from the hand, fashioned with a graving tool, made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Again, if, if, if you weren't here, directly in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall not form any other graven image or idol. Yes, we will obey, but then we build a golden calf, right? Like, it, it, this is not like years. This isn't generations later they've forgotten. This is days, if that, right? Yes, we're in, ah, never mind. We're impatient. We learn a couple things from the initial parts of this crime. One, we are all meant to be worshipers. You hear me? All of humanity is meant to worship something. It is Put into your heart, into your mind, you are a worshiper. Why? Because you and I are created in the image of God. God, too, worships himself because he's worthy of that glory. We worship him because he is worthy of that glory. We are worshipers by our nature, and so we must worship something. So what happens is the people had their worship misplaced. Moses had gone away. They had looked to him, as you even see it in the text, where is this man Moses who led us out of Egypt? How many times did God have to proclaim, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? Moses was a conduit. He's not the hero of the story. And yet these people, where's this guy that brought us up? We don't know where he is. We're lost. What do we do? They missed God from the beginning and they kept missing him. So what do they do? They form another idol 
that they could worship because we're not just worshipers. Because it's almost because we're worshipers, we often become idolaters. Because we have to worship something, we then say, well, it has to be something and, it, and, and I don't want to be God or I've missed God or whatever the excuse we want to give. And so in the midst of that, you fashion something different. And in this case, they fashion the golden calf and they say, these are your gods, O Israel. And it is very interesting that they choose the calf. See, now there's, there's all sorts of this. And if you look at the calf, the calf was an ancient deity within the land of Egypt. Among their pantheon of gods, Apis, an Egyptian god, was fashioned as a calf. And so this is not just some random thing that happened. They, they formed this idol that is an embodiment of a god of their former land. And it's not just any god. It is a god that truly, as you look at the history of Egyptian worship of the god Apis, it would literally be worshipped as a replacement for the Egyptian king. That they would literally worship this thing in, in place of when the king wasn't present. Okay, well, we've got the calf and there are all sorts of other things attached. Here's what's happening is the people of God are worshiping the former. That was better. The pharaoh, the king, slavery, bondage, all of that was better than this. It sounds so foolish. But this is what they're doing. Let me, let me bring it to maybe a, a, a practical reality of today. This would be, the, this would be likened to if, if you fashioned an altar or a shrine for a former spouse that used to abuse you and you erected it in your living room in front of your new spouse. That's what that is. This former thing you used to be covenant to in subjection to, now you herald before the new life. So, so I mean, this is a massive deal. And, and hear me, even as I study this more and more and, and idolatry more and more, like, the more this is revealed to me how massive of a problem this was and how God relenting, which we'll just see in just a moment, from completely wiping the slate clean is massively merciful. We even, <laughs> we have this soccer game we play against another church here in town and we have a traveling trophy and, and literally this is early on in the ministry and so I wouldn't fashion this again but there's literally a golden calf on the top of the trophy because <laughs> we thought it'd be funny and it is kind of, Okay. It's called the Golden Calf Football Invitational. <laughs> this week, no joke, my son, I'm prepping this text, little James, he's two. He finds the trophy and starts looking at it. He's enamored with it. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> I, this is, hold on. This is great. This is why my son is a better Christian than I am. He literally snapped off the calf. <laughs> I wish I had a picture. But hear me, this is massive. This is not... Oh, they did this thing. This is, this is they worshipped a other God that wasn't a God. There, right? there are no other gods. They worshipped the form. They worshipped all the, the, what God pulled them from. They said, no, we want, we're going to worship it, we're going to praise it. What a direct affront to the person, character, and work of God, Yahweh, our Savior. That's what this is. And so some of us, we hear this, and we're like, well, you know what? Like, I'm not doing that, though, dude. Like, I'm not going to show up to any of your houses. I'm not going to probably see large erected altars to different golden animals in your home. But we're foolish to think if this is not us. Our idols just look different. Thomas Chalmers, in an amazing sermon, amazing author, amazing Christian, wrote this in The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, said, we see every man and woman 
giving themselves up to their own peculiar idolatry. We've turned everyone to our own way. And surely we can detect the one and universal tendency of forgetfulness of God. We cannot fail to acknowledge that the world of sense which is around us is one mighty theater of idolatry. That on every side of us, idols meet us and ply with us with their temptations. That they've stolen our affections from God. Every one creature that is more loved than the creator is an idol. And then do we have those that kind of move their ways in and out of our lives? It's not always just the one, but some come in and then some leave others. And they're not always in the form of a golden calf. They're in the form of our bank accounts. They're in the form of our security, our safety, our spouses, our children, our insert your thing, whatever hobby that you love to do more than worship the Lord. It's so easily slipped in there, y'all. I wish we had more time. There's a story. I'm sure I'll fit it in in the next series so you'll hear it then. The next is the punishment. If that's the crime, what will the Lord do? In verse seven, and the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up by the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and may consume them in order they may make a great nation for you. So God's response was destruction. And, and, and there's a real, like, what? No, that's how, don't look, that's how crazy God, that's how massively wild and unbelievably rebellious and sinful this golden calf situation was. Because God was doing something bigger with them. This was not just God being upset about the sin. God was saying, no, I'm trying to make a nation that will bless the world. Literally, the world is at stake right now and you're playing games. I mean, the world is at stake right now and you're forced worshiping fake idols. Verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord, and God, his God, and said, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you've brought us out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster he had spoken to bring upon his people. Moses pleads with God. I mean, what, this, it's, hear me, it, this, this is a picture, this is a picture of prayer. This is a picture of, of God coming in and being present with his people. And, and Moses is like, no, God, like, look, look we're, I promise we're gonna get it right. Like, we're gonna, we're gonna be faithful. We're supposed to do this, God. Like, remember what we've agreed to. Now, let me be very clear. This is not because God forgot, Okay. This is God wanting to see the heart of a man that he was going to call to lead his people through their rehab. So they interact and God agrees, okay, we're not going to just start over again. So here's what we get is the punishment then gets bailed down after this last little part of the story, which I just had to keep in. We're not covering every little verse for three chapters, but this one, it's just too ridiculous. Verse 21, Moses said to Aaron as he comes down the mountain, what do these people do to you that you've brought such a great sin upon them? 
And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people. They're set on evil. In other words, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. It was them. It's those crazy people. This is an echo of the Garden of Eden, right? As soon as sin comes in, God comes down. What happened? She did it, right? It was the woman that you gave me. So it's not just her fault. It's your fault. It's not me. We have this tendency to immediately say, no, no, in the midst of my adultery, instead of receiving conviction, pursuing repentance, and then living in the life God's called us to, we just find some other scapegoat, some other way out to say it's not that big a deal or it wasn't my fault. It's not the way it works. And he goes on, he says, for they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to him, let any who have gold take it off, ready? So they gave it to me, I threw it in the fire, and out came out this calf. <laughs> this is the most ridiculous lie in the history of lies. I'm like, hey, you're a grown man, that's the best you could do. <laughs> and Moses, listen, it wasn't me, it was them, but what I did is I just, I threw it at this thing, and I just sat there. And this whole golden calf just jumped out of the it's just, come on, man. If you're going to lie, lie good. That's not the right lesson. Don't take that home. I mean, it's, it's, so what you see here is a confused people. Thinking they can get away with this kind of stuff. They can lie their way out of it. And hear me. Your lies, my lies, are ways to scapegoat they look just as foolish and silly to the Lord. You're not more cunning or clever than Aaron, and neither am I. We are exposed before the Lord. And hear me, it's the best possible thing. Because he actually loves you and loves me. And so then he works then into this punishment and rehab. So looking at the punishment, there's three different things he does. The first one, the wicked are punished for their role. And we see this as God is going to talk about his character in Exodus 34 in just a moment. He's going to say, he does not pardon the guilty, right? And, 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 and we'll talk more about that. But the wicked are punished for their role in this. The ones who probably fashioned the calf, okay? Those who were singing and dancing and rebellious against the Lord. And so in that moment, the Levites are called in their priesthood to go and they slay 3,000 of the guilty. God is serious about his sin because the world is at stake. The second one, a plague is sent upon them. In Exodus 32, verses 30 through 35, we don't know the nature of the plague, but a plague was sent upon them. Notice the people of Israel had just witnessed 10 plagues happen to Egypt. What must they think is going on? And the third one, the people that have fled Egypt, those that have been liberated, are now told they will not inherit the land of Canaan. That there is not one who has been taken from Egypt that will set foot in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They will not get there. The next generation will. They will not. Again, they are mere months into the journey. They're only a little bit away, months away, and then the journey takes. You know why we kept saying the journey is going to take 40 years? It's because of this. Last of the generation will die off. And that first generation that came out will not see Canaan. These punishments, right? like, oh, that seems harsh. No. The world is at stake. This is not just God being mad. You see that? It's not just God being mad about idolatry and sin. Although he is, 
His wrath burns like a fire upon our sin and our idolatry. But unto a greater purpose even that the world's at stake, y'all. I'm trying to do something here. I'm trying to form you that you'd be a blessing to the world, that the world would know my name, that the world would be ushered into the kingdom. And we're playing games. Come on, Israel. The world's at stake, but notice they've become Egypt. And so they suffer the same pains that Egypt suffered. And all this belief that they were better than they, where they came from, no, they were just in the same place, but with a God who was merciful. Church, we are that same people. We are an idolatrous bunch, but with a very merciful and gracious God. Again, not just that we would sit in repentance, confession, but move quickly. Maybe not too, you know what, maybe not quickly at all. Maybe we do need to sit there longer. God then moves into the rehab. And there's four different ways he presents this in the text. That he comes to try and repair (coughs) the broken people. The first one we see is in the tent of meeting. God converses with Moses in verse 17 of chapter 34. Excuse me, of chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by my name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, oh, make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll show mercy on whom I show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where she'll stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by you, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I shall take away my hand. You shall see my back and my face shall not be seen. God interacts with Moses. It says as God conversed with Moses, a man speaks face to face. That God came and was present with his people. With Moses, he came and spoke with him and gave him instructions for the people, which leads us to the second part of the rehab, was to obey the law. Chapters 34, chapter 34, verses one through four, the Ten Commandments repeated. Laws from the book of the covenant repeated what? That the people of God would not forget what he had called them to in the midst of their idolatry. The law didn't stop. It's still present, active, and for the people of God. So the first one was be with God. The second one, follow God. The third one, God then testifies about himself. It's that we might know God. Verse six of chapter 34, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving transgression, iniquity, and sin. But who who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped, and he said, if now I found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us for it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. This is the first moment and one of the most beautiful moments in Scripture where God speaks about himself, about his character, about his person, 
about who he is to the world. And, and hear me, in the midst of what they're walking through, and hear me, what, what we should be in, in the midst of realizing our sin and I, our idolatry, to hear the words that you are a God who is slow to anger, gracious, with steadfast love, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, we should rejoice. Do we know our God? And then lastly, God then continues his covenant and calls us to trust him. Verse 10, chapter 34. And he said, behold, I'm making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you whom, are, whom you shall see are the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. This last part of the rehab is that we would trust him and fulfill our covenant to him. That we'd be invited into the covenant once again and the people of God would resoundingly say, yes, we will be obedient until the day we die. God rehabbing his people that the mission of the people of God might continue to be fulfilled. Now, Moses returns off the mountain after having this discussion with the Lord and says that his face shone with light because he was in the presence of God. This is a beautiful picture of the glory and the goodness of our God that comes in the midst of this and still loves us in the midst of our sin. Now hear me, this is our story, not just because, yes, Gentile church, present day, we've been grafted into the people of God. This is our story because this is our history. But again, so much more than just our need to understand the deep idols of our heart this morning is to understand the great story that God has written. That God has created, we have fallen, but he has come to redeem and through his church he's bringing restoration here and then forevermore in the new heavens and the new earth. The last part of this whole arc is the home piece because he's rehabbing the people of Israel that he might bring them to their home. That they'd be a faithful display people for him and the same story rings true for us today. Think about this, the calling that's given to humanity. Glorify God and enjoy him all the days of your life. Cultivate the earth, the creation mandate, everything, Genesis 1 and 2. The crime, though, of humanity is that we glorify self. We tried to be God. You see it in the garden. You see it in ourselves. We pursue our idols. Here's where it gets really great, is that the punishment instead of falling upon the people of God, has fallen upon Christ himself. You see, Exodus is the story, and it is our story, but because of Christ's work, it's a bit different. Because we do get to inherit the promised land. Because we do get to commune with him. Because we are not destroyed because Christ was destroyed. The narrative changes. The new exodus has come. Notice how Jesus fulfills every aspect of the rehab. First, the first part that we be with God. What did Jesus do? He grants access to all. Matthew 27, the veil was torn in two. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to me, comes to the Father, but through me. The second one, he's fulfilled the law. For us, why? Because we couldn't, Matthew 5. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. 
the third part of the rehab, that we might know God. Jesus reveals the Father, John 14. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the last part of that rehab is that we might be invited in to follow him. Mark 8, come, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. Again, the narrative changes for us and praise, praise Jesus. The new exodus is here. The people of God have been set free and by the work, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now walk in the newness of life. The punishment was put on him. The rehab now changes because he's given us himself to live in our hearts. The Holy Spirit now resides in here and we get to be progressively sanctified until the day we die. Trusting that the Spirit of God will want to make us more like Jesus this afternoon than when you showed up this morning. Is that your desire? Because this is the story he's writing and he's writing it and he wants your name all over it for his glory and his work because the world is at stake and the promise is not just life in heaven when the heavens and the earth return but rather it's life here as well, the here and the hereafter, John 10, 10, I called you, you might have life abundant here and forevermore. God is writing something far bigger and so we look at this text of idolatry and yes, church, confess. Church, analyze. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me and know me, O Lord, right? Look at my heart, test my mind, see my anxious thoughts, Lead me in the way everlasting. So yes, yes, yes. Analyze, (coughs) repent. Rapidly moved to the cross. Rapidly moved to the work of Jesus. Rapidly moved to the work of the Holy Spirit that wants for you to be like him because the world is at stake and there was a promise (coughs) for the here and the hereafter. I'll land with one of the most famous quotes, I think, in the history of preaching from C.S. Lewis. It's just too good. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Church, hear me. We are far too easily pleased. God is everything. Jesus is everything. We don't sit in fear at the base of the mountain worrying about destruction Worrying about, man, will we get there? Jesus came in and took that upon himself. Now church, rise up and be the sanctified presence of God in this world. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have adopted us in and you've brought us into your family. I mean, you gotta see this picture of Martin and Suzanne. This has got dear friends and I thank you for their story and God, I thank you for that work and it's just a picture of even what we saw here today. 
God, you are doing something bigger and we can't always see it. So Lord, may we have eyes. And give maybe not even eyes to see what you're doing because sometimes it's, just, it's mysterious and we don't know. But God, we have eyes just to see you. When we see you, we're at peace because God, you're good and faithful. God, so just in this moment as we respond, God, we'd be a, a worshipful people, a responsive people, and a people, God, that feel called to walk in the ways of Christ all the days of our life, that we together as the church, not just here, Lord, but across our city and our world, that say, yeah, like all that you've commanded, God, we will obey. We love you, Christ. Help us in that spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.